Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast, brought to you by Source from Sound Agriculture. I'm McCain Vogel, Assistant Editor of No-Till Farmer. In today's episode, Thomas Gent, a fourth-generation farmer, shares the details of the no-till system on his family farm in Tid St. Giles, England. Gent's father and grandfather made the decision to switch to no-till 16 years ago, and for him, it's the only way he's ever known how to farm. So tell me where you're located. Yeah, so our farm is um, in the UK, um, just on in, in the east, near Cambridge. Um, we're, we're on an area of land called the, or the edge of the Fens. Yeah, very, it's very, very flat here. We're about a meter below sea level. And uh, you farm with your dad? What's his name? So yeah, my dad's Edward Gent. He farms with me. Um, and then we, we farm about 800 hectares. And we also have one other employee on the farm. So 800 hectares would be 1,700 acres or so? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know acres. About 2,000 acres, I think, yeah. Okay. I assume you you look young. You're still young, so it was your dad that started with no-till, not you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm 26, So um, and we've been farming this way for about 16 years, right? So my dad and granddad actually made this transition when I was about 10, uh-huh. So, it, but the exciting thing, thing for me, right, is I don't know any other way to farm. Like I've never sat on a plow. I don't, I, you know, I'd have no idea how to do any cultivation. Um, yes. This is the only way, this is the only way I know how to do it, um, which is exciting, I think. And I didn't realize we were doing anything unique until very recently, really. Um, so yeah, granddad and dad made that transition 16 years ago. They made it for a financial reason. They could see that our soils were heading in the wrong direction and it was costing us more and more money to produce the same yield. So it was everything was just going wrong, really. We were also we were at a point then when um, the global sort of wheat market was very low um, and our machinery was very old. So we were at a kind of decision point where we either had to invest in new machinery, like, you know, a fleet of new heavy machinery, or granddad had actually been on holiday to Argentina um, and he'd seen them doing some no-till out there. And he had a friend in the UK that just started to do it a year before us. So he said he would try it. So we bought a John Deere 750A and we did it. We Granddad always says he remembers we, we did no-till on one field one year. And he was in the field and he you know planted the field. Um, and, and in the next field, um, there was my dad and my uncle. And um, there were, I think there was three or four of them all in big, you know, thousand horsepower tractors, you know, trying to plant the wheat right trying to do the same job as him and he was in a you know little 200 horsepower tractor and he was achieving the same thing um and actually luckily that year um the yield on the no-till field was better than the other field so so we decided that year we should we should go for it and we sold all of our heavy equipment and we bought a different direct drill and and we just went for it (laughs) well your your grandfather went to south america which got his eyes opening because both argentina and brazil and paraguay got a huge percentage of their land that's no-tilled absolutely yeah oh it working yeah absolutely he saw it working out there and he he also knew he he saw it working out there because and they weren't getting any subsidies, so they weren't getting any government support out there, and they so they were forced to farm in this way. And he thought, you know, we're only able to farm in the kind of heavy tillage way in in Europe because we get subsidies. So we would be in the best position if we farmed the way that they farm, and we still get subsidies, then we're going to be very rich. <laughs> <laughs> so what crops do you know, Tom? Um Yeah, so. Um, we grow quite a range of crops now. We 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 grow um, wheat, oilseed, rape, or canola. I think you call it um, yep. 
field beans, um, rye, triticale, uh, sometimes a bit of linseed, um, a bit of bit of maize, corn. Um, and we also started to do now a bit of um, grass lays, so sort of three or four year temporary grass lays, which have been a big, big benefit to our farm and our soils. Do you uh, have any livestock? So my uncle has poultry. We, we've got 64,000 birds, um, which are for, for eggs. Um, but my, my uncle runs the chickens and my dad runs the arable and they, you know, try not to argue too much. Um, and so, so, but, but on the, on the, on the fields, um, we don't have any livestock that sort of graze the fields. Yeah. You're seeding cover crops? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say we've only started to really go heavy into cover crops in the last maybe four or five years. Before that, we didn't really do much. Um, but we've only, yeah, we've, we've done a lot more of it now. And we definitely see when we plant a cover crop, the following two or three years, the, the cash crop is awesome. It, our struggle is to get the cover crop to is have time to plant the cover crop um, early enough because we're busy harvesting, right? It's like kind of resources, um, a practical problem. But yeah, if we, we really want to do more cover cropping. Well, that's the same problem here in the States. It's, you, you know, we're harvesting corn and soybeans and one when we should be seeding cover crops into that ground. Uh, yeah. One of the benefits we have here with guys that uh, uh, have dairy or beef operations that are cutting corn silage, that gives them an extra two or three, four weeks to get cover crops in the ground. But uh, we have some people here who aerial seed. Some people said it's been great. Some people have said it hasn't worked for me. Yeah, we, we've tried it. So we're, we're always trying, same as lots of farmers, I think we're always trying to build our own machines and different ways to do things. We, For a little bit, we put a seeder on the back of the combine header um, sure. to see if we could plant the cover crop while we were combining. Um, it, it didn't really work. <laughs> the cover crop didn't grow, but I think it was a good idea. And we tried lots of aerial seeding and stuff. But what, what we really found is cover crop seeds quite expensive. And so if you buy it, right, you want to get it, you want to make sure it grows. And the only way to do that is to drill it, really. So we just try and drill it if we can. We have a few people in the U.S. who've got a cedar mounted on their combine, yep. but it's, you know, areas where they got moisture or whatever. What are you seeding as cover crops? A single or a mix or what? Yeah, definitely a mix. Um Sometimes, so we do, we save our own seed as, as much as we can. So, you know, we use some oats and some and field beans and stuff like that, that we, or rape or, or canola, stuff that we can save. We don't like to do that too much because obviously we get a bit of disease crossover, but it's cheap. Um, but yeah, we do buy sort of mixes, you know, proper seed mixes. Um, yeah, mostly kind of deep rooting stuff. So, you know, um, like vetch and radishes um we try and do as much sort of nitrogen fixing stuff i i'm really 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 interested in trying to get clover to be kind of permanently established and and under the you know under the understory um we've tried to do a lot of companion cropping so when we grow canola we grow buckwheat with it we try to go rape we try to go clover with it um but it's tricky to get those small seeds to establish i think that's the biggest thing struggle that we found with cover cropping is the small seeds, which often are the interesting plants that you want to grow, it's very hard to get small seeds to establish properly. So you're, drill, you're drilling your cover crops? Yeah, we're definitely drilling our cover crops. My, so my granddad's a um, designs machinery, so he has the patent on a 
on a on a drill mm-hmm. um in i think in america it's, it's k-heart it's available in america so it's on the k-heart machine um it's on a weave it's called a weavings machine in, in europe it's that the angle disc coulter um so that's like granddad's patent and design so yeah we use that drill for, for so everything looking on back to when your grandfather and your dad started no-tilling 16 years ago they make some mistakes what would they tell others to avoid <laughs> <laughs> yeah we definitely i mean like we definitely made lots of mistakes and to be honest we still make lots of mistakes you now. learn from your um the big your success yeah we learn a lot the the biggest problem that we had at the start was um water um so we're, we're obviously fairly low lying here and we do get a lot of rainfall um so drainage was our biggest problem at the start um what what we realized is when we were cultivating we were actually like, you know, really draining the soil every year kind of accidentally. But as soon as we stopped doing that, we found we had a lot of puddles on the fields um, and a lot of issues with kind of water flooding and stuff. So we had to spend, we actually did spend a lot of money on putting like proper underground drains across the farm, um, which was really important. And now we have to manage our kind of uh, yeah drainage system on the farm. We That's, you know, it's a big winter job. Is to, we have a digger, a big 360 digger, and we have to go around and dig all the sort of trenches out of the side of the, of the side of the fields to make sure it drains properly. Um, that was, that's definitely one of our biggest problems we've had. Um, the other really important thing is um, organic matter. Mm. We spread a huge amount of organic matter, which we didn't really used to do. Um, we work with a, there's a, there's a dairy farm near here. We work with, we take a lot of their cattle manure, and we obviously have the chickens we take a lot from. We take a lot of compost from sort of local cities and stuff like that. Um, we've increased. So our organic matter when we started was around 2 or 3% organic matter. And now we're up to sort of 10, 11, 12% organic matter. Um, and that has made the world of difference to our That's farm. That's a huge increase. We don't, we got people here that are increasing organic matter, but I don't think to that extent. Yeah, I know. It's mad. We didn't really... So, you know, we didn't really expect it to go up that much either. Um, but the fields, the the fields that are the highest, they are absolutely our best fields. And, you know, those, you know, we've had, I don't know if this sort of translates very well, but but we had, um you know, wheat, wheat crops this year of sort of 11 tons a hectare. And we were only putting on 110, 120 kilograms of nitrogen on per hectare. You know, maybe you need to translate in that into kind of American numbers, but um, you know that's 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 seriously amazing and very profitable. How are you um, terminating your cover crops? We try to grow a lot of cover crops that are frost, um, sort of, you know, that that, that get damaged by the frost. Um, so hopefully, um, as much gets killed by the frost as we can. We we tried to um, we've tried rolling them, we've tried crimping them, we've tried grazing them with sheep. Um, and we do keep trying those things, but we always end up having to do a, a you know a, a roundup spray on them to make sure that they're kind of terminated for the before the cash crop. And this is why I'm really excited to see if I can get a, a constant understory of clover growing. I don't know if you have people trying that in the US, but it's definitely in Europe a thing that everybody wants to try is to try and get that permanent clover growing. So hopefully you don't have to kill it. <laughs> So then you would uh, plant right into this clover? Yeah. Do you have people trying that in the U.S. or not? Well, probably a few, but it's not very common. Not- no, it's not very common here, but it, I think it's people that have been doing it a long time. It's the next, you know, phase because obviously a clover is nitrogen fixing plant. And if we can get it to be kind of permanently established, there's a lot of clovers that are very short 
uh, you know, and don't don't grow very high. And then, and it's also resistant to a lot of chemicals. So, in theory, we can plant, you know, wheat or anything straight into that. Um, we're going to try it this year, and we'll see how we get on. <laughs> so the uh, clover would uh, you would you would plant your other crops into this clover without killing it with herbicides, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so you're almost, you know, the fad here right now in the U.S. is to plant green. Yeah. So that's kind of what you would be doing, but with, you would hope this clover would last for how many years? Well, four or five years, but we'd we'd keep renewing it. And we so we'd have to, the plan would be to have it co- just permanently there, constantly. So th- this... So as soon as, I mean, as soon as you harvested, you know, as soon as you combined, then it will, it will be there fixing nitrogen. Um so what, what's interesting on this is on this ground you don't have to see the cover crop right exactly wow the problem the problem with it is the clover seed is very expensive mm-hmm. and it's quite hard to get the clover to establish well but if it if the clover gets established really well it will also suppress weeds from growing because it will you know make a canopy and, and hopefully be really thick so that's the plan but we'll we'll see if we can do it. <laughs> what what seeding rate do you think you're going to use on the clover? Yeah, we. I mean, we've tried. We. I don't know the answer to that because <laughs> I don't know which one's gonna. I don't know which one's gonna work best. Yeah. We've tried lots of different rates. We've done some. We've done some really really low rates. Um, sort of like one or two kilograms a hectare. And the plan is for that is to kind of uh, allow it to multiply by itself you know allow it to go sure. to seed and grow and establish and then we've tried some very heavy doses to see if we can get it to establish quite quickly and kind of i would say we haven't decided which one's best yet <laughs> tried this for one or two years and you see the leaves right yeah so how we've tried to do it in the past is we've um done companion crop with canola so we do um, you know the canola in one, and then the oil seed, and then the clover, and then you know alternate rows. Um, we tried to do that; uh, it didn't really work. We could the clover didn't really establish very well, and it didn't really last very long. So now what we've tried is we've tried to what well, we've set aside um, twenty hectares where we've just planted clover, and for two years we just allow the clover to to establish. Okay. We don't we don't crop it. And we, we've just got to the point, so that's been established for two years. So now we have about 20 hectares of really thick clover fields. So now this autumn, we're going to plant some winter wheat into it um, in the next few weeks and see, and then we're just going to see if the winter wheat grows well or not. When you establish this clover without a cash crop, you, you no-till the clover? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What kind? And then we and then we've been silaging the clover and taking it to the dairy farm. Okay. So what what kind of drill do you uh, you folks have? Yeah. So we have a we have a weaving. It's in the UK, it's called a weavings GD. It's it's an eight meter. Um, it's got angled angled discs. We'll come back to the episode in a moment. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Source from Sound Agriculture, for supporting today's podcast. If you want to make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Source from Sound Agriculture optimizes the amount of crop nutrition supplied by the microbes in your soil, providing 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre. It's cost-effective and easy to use. Just throw it in the tank and spray in season. If you want to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI, there's only one answer. Source it. 
Learn more at sound.ag. And now, let's get back to the episode. There's not a huge um, acreage of no-till in Great Britain, correct? It's definitely grown a lot in the last few years. I would probably say somewhere between 5 and 10% of the farmlands farm land is, is, is no-till in the UK. Um, and then I would pro- probably say there's around 50% that are kind of reduced tillage. There's a, there's a very big, a very, um, very trendy thing in the UK for reduced tillage. Um, and then everybody else, I would say, is fairly conventional. Yeah. Well, we've we've got maybe a third of the acreage in the U.S. that's no-tilled, but then get, we got some people who don't do it every every year, and we've got yeah. continuous no-till. Uh, what's been the biggest mistake or concerns you have with cover crops? That's a good question. Um, really, the like the, uh, they're very expensive. We found. And like it's very hard to quantify uh, the sort of benefit, the you know the financial benefit of them. That's been our hardest thing is the sort of decision process of are they worth the cost, <laughs> especially if um, you, they don't establish very well because you know the cover crop seed is very expensive, and when once we've planted it, you know there there's a you know there's there's probably quite a high likelihood that it won't get established properly you know it won't grow away properly before the before the winter comes so then it becomes a you know a, a, you know to, a waste of time really or you know waste of money so that's definitely been our biggest issue i would say our other biggest issue is is terminating the cover crop at the right time because yeah there's a big trend in the uk as well to drill into the green problem with that is we have our soils are quite heavy um you know they lay very wet soils um, and so to drill, pro- uh, you know, the spring crops properly, we really need the, to be quite dry. So um, that means we have to terminate the cover crops early to give it time to dry the, for, the, for the surface to dry. And then that means, you know, are we really giving the cover crops a long enough time to, to work? So I guess to get over this, we so I, when we first started cover crops, we, we did what everybody does, I think, is try and get your cover crops to go as big as possible. And, you know, we were growing cover crops, you know, like taller than me, you know, six yeah. foot um and, and and really really thick but we found that was a problem because then there was too much residue so now we try and go actually quite small and quite like spaced out cover crops just to allow basically the air to circulate and the soil to keep dry and so when we want to drill there's not too much residue left so uh how long are you ter- when are you terminating the cover crops in terms of weeks before you plant, plant your cash crop I would say we would like to spray it off about a month before okay. we want to plant something like that. Yeah, it depends. It depends on the it depends on the year, though. It depends how wet it is. Sure. Well, that's what it is. You know, we've had a really dry spell here this year in much of the country. Drought and concerns right now that people are going to give up on cover crops because they didn't see the real value of it this year. But uh, and yeah. we had some places where they've had extreme drought but and, and then we got other people who said man didn't if i hadn't seeded cover crops i might not even have had a decent cash crop this year so it, it goes both ways yeah we, so in europe well i think in europe but definitely in the uk is um this this summer this harvest has actually been quite wet so we've yeah we've we probably had the opposite problem this this harvest 
Um, and so I would say this harvest, it was quite wet and we also got things done quite early. So we actually do have a lot of cover crops in the ground this year, mm-hmm. like now, um, just because we had the opportunity to plant them. But last summer, so like 2022 harvest, it was really, really, it was hotter here than it ever has been. And it was, it was, it was, it was crazy. It's crazy hot. So last year we didn't really get any cover crops established just because it was so dry. There was really no point in planting them because there was no moisture so they wouldn't have grown so you know this year but the the interesting thing with that is you know the 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 really dry harvest year uh, you know i don't have any neighbors that are no-till farmers but so so when when it was really dry just before harvest you could all of our crops were still growing and green um while our neighbors had all died um because they didn't have any moisture in the soil but our, our soil, because of that organic matter, had kept the moisture, yeah, for a long, lot longer than they had. So you, you know, you said the no-till acreage in Great Britain is growing in the last few years. What's the reason for that? Um, financial pressure, probably. Um, so obviously, we obviously we decided to leave the EU, which is um, which was a disaster. But we know here, as my personal opinion. Um, but we decided to do that, and so what that means is our government subsidies are pushing uh, for this type of farming. And so we used to get subsidies in the, in, in the UK when we were part of Europe um, for just doing, for just owning land sure. and all of that's gone. Um, and we're now only going to get subsidies or government support for doing soil health, you know, color cropping, no-till type practices. So what that means is farmers are being pushed and forced in this direction for financial reasons, really. And obviously we've also had, I don't know if this has probably just affected you as much as it has us, but the, the Ukrainian war has meant that fertilizer costs are astronomical. Um, so people have got to try and find a way to cut costs somewhere. <laughs> right. So tell me a little about uh, you're you're involved in carbon sequestration. Tell me what you're doing on your farm and put in the pitch for the company you're working with part-time or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I, so when it about three or four years ago, when it was, it was COVID in the UK, we had a lockdown. I was, to be honest, a bit bored because I couldn't get off farm and see my friends. So I had a bit of time in my hands and I started to sample our soil and I started to understand that we were storing carbon in our soil, but definitely in you in UK, then nobody was talking about getting rewarded for that. So I set myself the challenge to see if I could find a reward for that. Um, I tried lots of different programs out and then I came across a company called Agrina. Um, yeah, about four years ago. Um, and I like the way, to be honest, I just like the way they operated their system and I wanted to use their system on my farm, but they didn't have any UK operations then. So I said, please, can I use it on my farm? And they said, I could only use it on my farm if I talked to lots of other UK farmers about it. <laughs> so I, I, I thought that was a fair enough deal. So, um, yeah, so now I kind of work for them part time to, to help talk to farmers in the UK about it. Um, I think it's a really interesting sector that's growing. Um, yeah, obviously, it's growing in the U- US as well. And I think it's going to grow around the world is farmers now have this new asset that is that we've never had access to for, before. And it's also an, an asset that is in huge demand, you know, by by companies, by some very rich companies. And so this is farmers time to kind of take control of this asset and use it um, and, and, you know, and see if we can get a brand new income stream. Um, and, it, and it's working here. It's working in Europe, um, but there's a long, long way to go, I think. <laughs> so what kind of uh, payments are you earning? 
Yeah. So obviously it depends on the farming practices you do, but in, in the UK we're we're earning somewhere between um, one and two certificates per hectare per year. Um, and then they're worth around, around 35 euros a, a certificate. Um, so that's, so it's kind of like, I would say 50 to 60 euros a hectare, something like that. Um, I don't know what that works out is in, in, in US terms. <laughs> right. So, what what's the interest in carbon in the UK? Um, yeah, massively, actually. It, it's really interesting because two or three years ago, nobody was talking about carbon farming or anything to do with carbon. And now, um, over the last two years, you, you can't really talk to, you can't see, you know, pick up any farming magazine in the UK without a lot of talk about carbon. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hot topic. It's super of interest. We're just going to see how the sector develops. Um, and the opportunity and the value needs to stay with the farmer. That's the bit that I'm really passionate about is we can't let this value and this new asset kind of be lost in the, in the supply chain. So the, the company you're working for, uh, you see them coming into the U.S. or not? Yeah, so we're, we're the largest carbon program in, in Europe now. Um, we, yeah, we've, we're, we're, in, we're in most European countries We've got kind of over a million hectares on the program. Um, and so, yeah, we're just starting to look at how do we expand into different continents. And obviously, U.S. is is a really exciting market. Um, there's some you know awesome farmers over there. They speak our language. That's really good. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to hopefully have a trip to the U.S. soon and visit some no-till farmers. So earlier on, before we started this podcast, it came up that, you, that this company is able to track carbon versus satellites correct yeah absolutely explain that a little so we so a year ago we acquired a company called hummingbird technologies they're a london-based company um and they yeah they have a a system where we can assess the practices that go on on the field um so we can basically assess you know if a farmer says he grew a cover crop we can go on the satellite and we can check that he actually did grow a cover crop and we can do the same with tillage and, and, and quite a few different practices. And what that does is it allows us to reduce the cost um, and verify the practices that a farmer have done on a large, large scale. Um, and so, yeah, really reducing the cost means we can give more money to the farmer. What, the, what, what do you see as the major concerns keeping farmers from trying carbon sequestration? That's a really good question, actually. I think it's probably just um, nervousness of a new sector, um, mm. and also kind of lack of lack, lack of understanding. You know, this is, you know, we're, farmers are very busy people, and we're we're used to doing what we understand. And this is a very new sector in in all ways. Um, so I think that's the kind of thing that that holds people back. We we've seen massive uptake in the UK, so we've probably grown uh, five, even ten times as big as we were last year. You know, over this year. Um, I think once you once farmers really truly understand this and they see, um, you know, it working for others, um, they're they're keen to get involved. Have you had problems planting into planting green or planting into this clover? We we've definitely had problems planting into the green. The drill has managed to the drill works well. Um, the the problem is the just the amount of residue has caused quite a lot of like hairpinning in the soil, um, and we also get it's you know it's hard for the plant the you know, wherever you planted let's say wheat to grow through the the residue to get to the surface, 
and we've also have quite a big problem with slugs um mm. if we if there's too much residue we just have a lot of slugs and they they eat the crop before it gets established um it, it, the real problem is that we are the climate here the soils are a bit too wet i think to to really grow to really plant on the green well um but i think in drier conditions it would work it would be what i would go for well then you're talking about uh terminating your cover crops where you do it with herbicides a month earlier so that that's a long period we we here in the states may do it a week or 10 days early or even after we plant yeah. but uh and, and we not- try Go ahead. If we if we can get the cover crops to be, if we don't let the cover crops get too big, then we can do it. You know, even the same day or you know, just the same as you said. But if we if the cover crops are very big, then we have to. We find that we have to do it quite a long way in advance. Do you uh, think your UK farmers are really concerned about climate change? Um, <laughs> I think to, you know farmers are farmers are like the general population, right? There's some that are believe it a lot and there's some that don't um i think you know i would say on a practical field level i've i can see the change in the climate right it's you know, october it's october obviously and we've had some really really hot days the last few days which you know you know it's even been hotter than summer days which is which is crazy like i can definitely see the climate's changing um and I'm, to be honest i'm quite nervous of it <laughs> Hey, this is uh, this has been great. I think we'll wrap wrap this up. I appreciate you doing this, and it sounds like you uh, made no-till and cover crops and carbon sequestration really work in Great Britain. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for the thanks for the time, and um, yeah, I look forward to meeting you soon, hopefully. That's it for this episode of the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast. Thanks to Thomas Gent and Frank Lesseter for that great conversation. And thanks to our sponsor, Source from Sound Agriculture, for helping to make this podcast possible. A transcript of this episode and our archive of previous podcast episodes are both available at notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. And for our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm McCain Vogel. Thanks for listening. Keep on no-tilling and have a great day.